Hello and welcome, heroes, to the Crit Academy. I am your host, Justin. And I'm Ian Wood. This podcast was created to provide you, our heroes, with new and reusable material for both players and DMs. We hope to inspire you with creative content that you can bring with you on your next adventure. Our show may not be suitable for young children, but neither is our D&D table. Is it ever? No, no, it's not. By the flip side, would you have it any other way? No, no, I wouldn't, <laughs> personally. We'd like to take a moment to uh, thank our fellowship member, Goblinstone. Thanks to Goblinstone, all of Crit Nation has a wonderful chance to win a prize each and every week. Each week, we draw one lucky subscriber's name, and they win the five-star rated adventure, Banquet of the Damned. Good adventure. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. So this week's winner is D&D Overlord. Congratulations, D&D Overlord. You're this week's winner. Head on over to goblinstone.com and check it out. We hope you enjoy the adventure. If you do, leave them a five-star rated review. We want to thank you for joining us today on the Crit Academy Studios, where everything's made up and your roles don't matter. Yep, that's right. Your roles look like king without any knights. <laughs> I want to thank you for joining us today, Ian. I really appreciate it. Always happy to be here. Uh, I enjoyed having you on the last uh, episodes. I think episode five, six. And it, was, seven? it was quite some time ago. Yeah, it was. Um, so it's good to have you back. Before we really get into the, the meat and potatoes of the show, we like to do In the Realm, where we talk a little bit about what's going on in our lives. So what's going on with you today, Ian? Oh, right now, not too much. Just usual work third shift, as usual, at the local news station. I would say my big plans I have, though, is um, this summer, I actually am playing, going to Gen Con, which is the 50th anniversary for it. Yes, Gen Con is awesome. I went uh, last year, and it was fun. Unfortunately, I was not able to go for the last couple of years, but I remember the first time I've gone, I described it as the best four days of my life. Yeah, that was that was, that was was my first time ever last year, and I really enjoyed it. It was uh, something to, to behold, and where where are they holding it this year for you? Is it still in Indianapolis? Yeah, it's still in Indianapolis. I mean, you got, I guess they're letting you use the uh, the stadium now. Yeah, they're adding in the Lucas Oil Stadium. That's awesome. No, awesome is the fact that I actually managed to get very low on like the uh, lottery for the hotels, and I got... One right across the street. Oh, wonderful. That's awesome. I didn't. I had to. I drove maybe 10 minutes. But once I found parking, I'm just like, eh. The catch was when you find parking. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, well, the trick The trick for me was getting there early. Since I wake up at 5 in the morning, most of those people are still there mm-hmm. <laughs> or they're sleeping. So I didn't have uh, too much trouble finding parking since I went there at like 6 in the morning. Right. Uh, but that's just me. <laughs> Plus a delay parking basin. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, very cool. I'm sure you're excited. You'll have to make sure you get lots of pictures for us to see. So, what's been going on with your life? Um, Final Fantasy XIV's new expansion comes out. You I'm are addicted. S- I'm super stoked, yes. I. It is, in my opinion, the best combat MMO is Wildstar. But yep. everything else easily flies to Final Fantasy XIV. There's story, new content every three months, which is every MMO player's dream, right? Actually, the uh, big video game I've been playing recently is like... Uh I've been playing Overwatch off and on ever since it came out, mm-hmm. but like this uh, past week or so has been their uh, one-year anniversary event. So oh, very cool. Actually, this past week it was double XP, and I yeah. at one point actually play, played for 10 hours straight. Yeah, see, I, I, I like Overwatch. I think it's an amazing game, but for some reason it doesn't appeal to me, and I don't know why. Um, I love. Don't get me wrong. I love shooters. I love Halo. I love Call of Duty. I just can't get into Paragon, Battleborn, or Overwatch, and they're all very similar. <laughs> Well, to each their own, as they say. Yeah, I know, which is kind of sad because all my friends play. <laughs> so that's all that's going on with me. I highly recommend checking out Final Fantasy XIV. It's awesome. <laughs> um, 
So we actually have a question here for our Let's Talk About Blank segment from a listener. Uh, her name's um, Bree B. I really am not going to try to pronounce her na- last name, and I'm sure she'll be uh, happy at that. <laughs> but uh, uh, she had a really good question, and I originally was debating whether I was going to do an entire show off this, um, which actually I ended up choosing this show to do it. So she has a very specific question. I would really love to hear about getting your PCs to meet. I hate starting with them knowing each other. It really lacks depth to me. And I hate starting with everyone in a tavern. Generally, I do one of the I do one-on-one games with my players before starting, but it's hard to really make those connections. Well, especially if you do one-on-one session, sure. <laughs> yeah, um building connections to me is super important. Um and it, when a game starts now, every all, most adventures start you start in a tavern. And I can see how monotonous that becomes. But in the grand scheme of that type of uh, D&D, the taverns are where people gather. That's where the, the, the locals hang out. That becomes the kind of water cooler, right? And there's a, a common point for travelers to stop at, too, anyway. <laughs> right. That's where they, they know where they're going to be able to find rumors and bi- business, find business for their, uh, their being adventures, I suppose. And depending on what kind of character you play, beer. Right. But I think, uh, you're, I think, Bree, you're on the right track. I think with having the individual... Uh, starting adventures with each individual person and getting their story together is good. Um, one thing that I've done in the past that I really have had a lot of success with is during a zero session, I ask each of my players uh, two things. One is I want you to tell me one positive connection you have to one person and one negative connection you have to one player, another player. So, for instance, if Ian and I were playing and Ryan were all playing, I might say, all right, well... Ian is a soldier, so I actually was getting mugged one time and he rescued me or he helped me fend off some bandits. And my negative might be, you know, I was talking to a a noble and Ryan pickpocketed him because he's always a rogue and I got caught for it, you know, or something like that. It doesn't have to be quite that severe, but that's how you can know somebody without having too in-depth of backstory involved with why they would know each other. Actually, what just came to mind when you're going through all that was um, there's a RPG called Spirit of the Century, which I oh, what system is that based off of? I don't know. It's one of the uh, game based off the Fate system. Okay. And actually, during the character creation process, the uh, setting, if you will, is kind of like based off of, like the uh, early pulps, if you will, during like the 1920s or so. And during part of your character creation process, you basically write down a short story, if you will, and give the basic events that your character started in, if you will. Okay. But then, during the character creation process, you pass it to other players, and they write, write in how was their character involved in that, in that story. Right, and that's actually a really good point, because one of the other things that I like to do is, if I need to get everyone together for whatever reason, let's say it's a, 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 one, a one shot, and we're doing it impromptu, and it's next day, and I don't really have a lot, any time to prepare, I might say, okay, you all are in this noble's house. He is looking to hire you. How did you get there? Right. So if they can describe to me in uh, a small three, four sentence of, well, their character's there because they know this noble, or their character's there because they're just looking for work and this is the only guy or that'll hire them, or you know, they can come up with those that content for you, so you don't have to spend a ridiculous amount of time trying to figure out how people know each other. If you know, you say, okay, this village uh, of Greenest is on fire and is being attacked by a giant dragon. How did you get here? Right. Let them do the work for you. As a DM, you already got enough stuff to do. So if you don't really care how they get there, let them decide it because you might be able to feed off that later on. You know, we, we've talked about uh, 
uh, on the show many times about let some of the DMs workload go to your players because often they're going to come up with creative ideas that are beyond anything you would have even thought of. Right, and even during ongoing campaigns, that players will probably fill in the blank themselves, not even realizing it. Yeah, and that's and they, I think we've had we've touched on that with like a DM tip. I think where oh, yeah. uh, when they say things, find a way to make those things real, and this is a good opportunity to do that. You can spend all day trying to come up with some sort of reason of why they're together, or you can just say, "I need you on this boat. How did you get there?" Right. Uh, if Ian's a soldier and Ryan's the rogue and Ian has captured Ryan, maybe that's why they're on that boat because he's, you know, escorting them back somewhere else, you know? Sure. Um, so there's a lot of stuff to go, but I did dig up some stuff on the internet that, or I did, I did dig some stuff up uh, while searching and I actually went ahead and sent uh, some of this to her, but we're going to give a couple examples of different ways um, you could actually start your adventure my personal favorite is i love my players to be slaves that's a really good one it's a real simple one i don't overuse it because then they expect it Mm -hmm. and actually in one game they did and i had the the wizard had prepared spells or not the wizard the sorcerer had certain spells picked out so that he could get out of certain situations and that's a little bit metagamey and i slapped him for it but uh uh, starting them off all as slaves, and they were heroes, and they were out hunting for treasure, and they got captured mm-hmm. by some other bandits. This is really good at level one because you're pretty pitifully weak at level one. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, your characters get captured, and they're now – they don't have their weapons. They don't have their spell book. They don't have their armor. They don't have any of their belongings. Nope. That in and of itself becomes a challenge. And then maybe the nearest town that they find when they – if and when they do escape leads to whatever the adventure hook you're trying to snag them with is. Because even I recall playing a few one-shots here and there where the same was, we were escaped slaves, mm-hmm. but we had managed to steal some equipment. Right, and that, and that, may, that may be the case. Uh, I've had several different outcomes with that story. I've had one where they've managed to overtake the guards through clever and ingenuity and be able to get some of their equipment back, but not all of it. Mm-hmm. I've had other ones where they had no way to get to their equipment, so they just ran, and they ended up do- bartering with other lo- commoners for impromptu weapons like pitchforks and stuff like that, which led to them taking on heroic uh, acts in their fucking underwear and with pitchforks, which was pretty fun. Obviously, I made sure to balance the encounters so that they didn't get steamrolled, but sure. there's a lot of ways that can go. I know one I've seen in the past, for example, is like... Uh a mercenary group is doing a recruitment drive, and all the players have to sign up. Yeah, it's that's that's a simple one, right? Or they all join the, an adventurers guild. That that's actually I think one of the ones that I like to use the most. Sure. Is because adventuring guilds make sense. They do. People don't want to do things on their own, so it's no. There's that's a place for them to go for work, and if they want work, that's why they, where they go. And not to mention guilds, they offer resources. They're given jobs, and there's other adventurers in the guilds too. So actually, that would. That'd be better troop play, actually, if you play multiple characters. And a really common one is some sort of uh, coming-of-age thing. Maybe a prince or a princess is having some sort of royal um, service ceremony, which is pretty common, and maybe that leads into some sort of assassination-type what-have-you. Maybe the king, a new king is being crowned. Mm-hmm. Once again, those are reasons why they would be in those areas, and then if something big happens, either they're going to react to it or they're not. Or like uh, perhaps like some sort of like a large public execution going on of some oh, that's a huge good master criminal or yeah. a leader of a cult, gang, whatever. And then because th- he is now in public outside the prison, that's when their organization makes a move to try to rescue them and get them back. And they're probably just having to be there when that happens. Yeah, and maybe the, the heroes are right there ready to try to stop them if it does happen. So, Bree, when it comes to gathering your crew and getting together, you're right. You don't have to start in a tavern. Keep coming up with those unique ideas, but try to leverage your 
players' knowledge and let them do some of it. Try the, okay, I need you on, I need everyone on this boat. Just say, okay, you're on a boat. How'd you get there? And you can actually leverage all the stuff that they come up with for future use in plot hooks. Bree, we would like to thank you for your question. Um, we really appreciate it. We hope that we answered your question. If not, please feel free to send me hate mail. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you. Before we move on to our main topic, which is, in fact, creating excellent adventure hooks, if you're looking for inspiration on how to gather your party, head on over to audibletrial.com slash critacademy. You can get a free audiobook and a 30-day free trial. They got over almost 200,000 different types of books, and I'm sure you can find inspiration for plot hooks and party gathering and any one of those, especially all the D&D books that are on there. That should give you quite a variety. For sure. Adventure hooks. Da -da -da -da. Yeah, what is, what is, let's start with what is an adventure hook. The adventure hook. What motivates the players to be on the adventure? Yeah, I mean, what really is there to, to drive the story forward? It's basically exactly that, a hook. You're grabbing your reel and you're throwing it out for your players and you're reeling it in mm -hmm. and hoping they'll try to snag on it and draw towards whatever story you want. I definitely believe with adventure hooks, it definitely is a two-way street between both the uh, GM, DM, and the players. Because yes. Because I remember I played in a few games, though, where um, everything started out fine with the stuff that the, the game master laid down. But as things progressed, the players took it in a different direction. Mm -hmm. But the kind of direction they took it made was kind of was like, why would my character be involved in this? Right. And that, that actually is a struggle for a lot of people sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, and actually, I think one of our player tips was don't be a dick. And you can avoid dick by taking the hooks the DM gives you. But right. sometimes you can create your own hooks. And... It's important to have a good set hook for your party members because if you don't, like Ian just said, you were going to sit here wondering why does your character care about this. Especially after you nailed down your character's personality and what their motivations are. <laughs> yes, for sure. So that, uh, that brings us to the very first point is you have to be able to grab the PC's attention. Not just one of them, all of them, which sometimes can be challenging. Mm -hmm. You know, a great hook really can make a character stop whatever it is they're doing and try to address that. You know, for instance, a paladin, that a, a lawful good paladin, anything, lawful good anything, mostly a paladin, it's pretty easy to get into a venture hook. Oh, yeah. You know, when you see uh, somebody come dashing out of an aisle and you hear a scream, oh, help, he robbed from me. You know, every lawful good person goes to him, have no fear, citizen, I will deal with it, and they'll, <laughs> they'll charge right in. Uh, paladins. <laughs> <laughs> well, I say paladin, but uh, specifically any lawful good character. And those are e that's a really easy way to get those guys involved. Definitely. But then how do you get the, um, the rogue who is neutral? Ooh, a situation for me to exploit. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe he walks up to the ladies and stolen. What did he steal from you, miss? <gasps> My wedding ring. I'll make sure it gets, I'll make sure to take it from him. <laughs> you know, little things like that can really grab those attention, but it's easier to grab the attention of a particular style of motivated character versus another. And as the DM, you have to think about that stuff ahead of time. Mm -hmm. Okay, like, for instance, with the rogue we just saw, we know that the rogue's probably not going to care that that lady got something stolen. It's probably a friend of his that stole it, <laughs> <laughs> you know? But for the DM, you got to kind of think about that. If, if you do that scenario where... You know, he, she says, ah, he stole from me. You have to be quick enough to think, okay, 
the the really good people are going, but the rogue's not going to. Maybe she then shouts out the ring. It stole my wedding ring, or a precious heirloom, or something. Maybe she doesn't. He doesn't approach her. Right. Um. So those are things you got to really kind to kind of gotta be really on the ball with as a DM. And I found that it's really easier if I write out what their motivations are mm-hmm. and what appeals to them. That plot hook has to be able to grab their attention instantly. Definitely. And let's face it. Survival is often a pretty good plot hook in some situations, too. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, there's a giant dragon. He's coming this way. Maybe we should go hide. Eh, I don't care. Oh, that outpost you happen to stay at overnight is now being attacked. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so a great, uh, a great adventure hook has something that will grab the PC's attention regardless of their motivation. Or alignment. Alignment something that I... <laughs> It can be a tricky thing to work with sometimes. Yes, but I don't think alignment is as critical as motivations. Oh, not at all. And if you can, and if like I said, as a DM, if you can identify what those motivations are, it's easy to drive somebody forward. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're a chaotic neutral character lost a little baby sister in his backstory somewhere, and he sees a little girl running from danger, even if it really has nothing to do with him. He might be motivated to help that to prevent somebody else from going through that same thing. Oh, that's actually pretty good. Your adventure has to grab the PC's attention. That's that's really number one. You really have to offer something up that really compels each and individual PC to pursue said hook. Mm-hmm. I definitely agree. You, you do have to give something that motivates your character, be it like um, they might receive some fame for it, or maybe they'll be paid. Yeah, I think being paid is probably the number one reason they do it. Yeah. I mean, that's most ventures are out to make a pretty dime. Fame and glory and riches. Yeah, and actually, I, in most cases, I think fame and glory above riches because if you think about how much they earn by, like, level five, why bother continuing? Mm-hmm. You're set for life. Well, it depends on the setting, too, though, in some situations. Well, I'm speaking specifically of Faerun, but, yeah, you're right. Yeah. You different, different campaign settings might have different amounts of rewards. But often, once you find a relic in a dungeon, you're probably set if you can sell it for a few hundred, few thousand gold, you know? Or depending on what relic is, keep it and go on more dangerous adventures. Yeah, because, and that, that brings me back to my point is sometimes I think that just fame and glory is far above the actual gold or just the good of helping people, I suppose. Oh, yeah. But you're not really helping anybody excavating a, 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 a an underground cavern that's really not being bothering anybody for any reason but um until you trip the seals then hold it inside the evil within yeah and then you're part of the problem <laughs> um you know another cool thing uh as far as why they might care you know unique services we've talked uh in other episodes ryan and i have about offering special services to people who achieve certain things whether it's you have access to a special library that you didn't before, or you have special uh, access to, you know, uh, the king or some other noble of great standing. And those services come with, you know, um, adventures as well. And those those alone can gra- grab somebody like a, a wizard. Mm-hmm. A wizard would really like, I'll do whatever I have to to get inside that library that only allows like five people in, you know. Yeah. And the wizard does crave knowledge. Yeah, which is, if that's something that's normally forbidden to most people, that might be his motivations for trying to, you know, okay, the the king needs somebody to go deal with this orc uh, raiders that are off in the distance, you know, a few days travel. Okay, well, I'll pay you in gold. Well, I've got gold. What else you got, you know? Mm-hmm. The DM should be making an effort to say, okay, 
I can offer reward, but is there anything else that I can offer that'll really drive them? Well, if that wizard isn't interested, he might say, well, I have a vault full of scrolls. And if you can help me deal with this issue, I'm sure that we can arrange for you to take a peek. Hmm. So for that type of character, that's going to become more valuable than we need to go stop the orcs. <laughs> yeah. You know? So you really want to make sure that you give something that compels them to do that. Inside my library is a tome that contains the lost history of your people. Ooh, Wait. that's a good one. Especially if we, if you got one of those characters like the Last of His Clan or something like that, the Last of Their Tribe. Mm-hmm. Additionally, you really want to be able to relate the problem to the PCs. If you're in a village and it's being attacked by a dragon, it's pretty relatable. <laughs> you don't want attacked. to die. Yeah, it's being attacked. You kind of just touched on that. But it's not always something like that. For instance, maybe some orcs came through town and burned down an orphanage. Well, if your character happened to be grow up in an orphanage, he's probably going to respond differently than the lawful good paladin's going because he has to. Because it's his oath or whatever. Plot twist. The orcs are passing through minding their own business and the humans being racist attack them, hence how the orphanage get burned down. Ooh, I like that. I love twists like that. That's hot. <laughs> but that's a, that's a good example of how you can uh, relate different problems to the PCs. Because they, the players develop a backstory, but everything that's in their backstory is not all that's happened to them. Um, it's meant no. to be a, a, a guide. And as the DM, if you need to find a way to add a little bit to that and make a plot hook work, then that's what you got to do. Um, for mm-hmm. instance, with the orphanage thing, um, I had four, pl- four out of five players that agreed they were in an orphanage. So then what did I have to do with this other person that didn't go to, never was in an orphanage? Well, what we ended up doing is that his family was tied to uh, saving youngsters and making sure they went to that orphanage. So his parents indirectly saved some of the adventurers. Right. And so that's how I tied him to that story. And he didn't know that starting out. He got recognized by one of the the mothers of the orphanage. All right. So I kind of took a liberty there. And now I know there's some people that are sketchy with stuff like that. And... I had discussed this with the player before we actually did it, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's the key difference. I wanted to add something to a story to enhance it, and I did, but make sure as a DM you, ha- you have permission from your, your players. I, would never, I wouldn't recommend changing something without talking to the player about it. Oh, no. That is a very bad no-no in my opinion. In fact, I remember there's a character I used to run in Mutants and Masterminds, and the overall setting involved like a multiverse, if you will. Mm-hmm. And the and one of the flaws I took for that character is this will sound ironic, considering that uh, Music Masterminds is a superhero RPG. He is racist against those with superpowers. <laughs> <laughs> and sounds like that kid from Incredibles. Yeah, yeah, where he's like, if everyone's super, then nobody will be, and he becomes the villain. Well, part of it though is like the Earth he came from, if you will. Think kind of like. Uh, it's something to say of like a Shantingham Dogs or Judge Dread, where outside of a city, this essentially is scorched earth with okay. f- full of mutants. And, and outside of like a major cities where few humans live, it was controlled by mutants that used their own superpowers to oppress people. Ah. And he was, was a bounty hunter that hunted them down. Okay. So he had a really good story for his reasoning behind that, though, right. which is important. Yep. 
and one of the, mov- the plot hooks my character was given to help out the, the heroes is, like, the uh, cosmic person that was recruiting heroes from across the multiverse. It's like, okay, look, I realize you would not hang out with us, but we could use your skills. If you help us, I will give you a device that will help depower super beings on your Earth. Oh, that's baller. That's a good fit. Were you the player or the DM? I was the player. That was was that your your character? That, that was my character that was offered that, yeah. Oh, that's very cool because your DM took into the case the fact, okay, I got to bribe him to help with this, but what is it he wants? What will drive him to want to participate in this? And he found that that lever to pull mm-hmm. that made your character, oh, this makes sense. I can use this to do what I do best. Now, in many ways, I still play that character because he would often keep the other primaries at arm's length because he because they're one of them. Right, right. One of the, they're one of those people. Um, but it's really important when you're relating your problem to your PC. I'd say one of the most easiest things to do is something like having uh, being starting off in a village and then all of a sudden merchants just stop. They stop coming. That's oh, going to directly impact the players. Oh, no. No food. What shall we do? I mean, that really becomes a problem. So now they directly have a reason to want to figure this out, whether they got to walk up the road and find out that, oh, the... There's bandits constantly ambushing the merchants, and until somebody deals with this, nobody's gonna, nobody's gonna come. Which, that's that's a pretty simple one and less complicated than the orphanage one. But, sure. um, that's a reason for them to want to. That's how you can relate what's going on in their PCs' lives to the world at large. Or but, winter is here. The food stores are low. Time to go and hunt some bear. Yeah. Right. 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 <laughs> um, and then once you're your hook is related to the problem to the PCs. You need to offer uh, a solution to the pro- a problem that they have. That's a, a, another good one. You know, uh, for instance, in the example we just discussed with the merchants, that's a problem that they now have. Okay, so what are some ways that you can solve that? Well, the easiest is to throw a, a, an NPC saying, hey, I need you all to go and uh, deal with this, see what's causing this issue. So in that example, that's pretty simple, but maybe it's a little more complex than that. Maybe maybe in the character's backstory, they've got a, a, a close friend or a mentor that's been murdered or gone missing. You then can say, okay, I need to get them from point A to point B. They've given me this hook that their mentor's missing. Mm-hmm. I can safely assume that the reason they're in this town is because they're looking for something to do with their missing mentor or family member or what have you. Well, maybe you can give them a little nudge saying, okay, uh, this villager A says that they think they saw a man with... We were attacked by a raiders whose leader had six fingers on his right hand. Oh, yes. There you go. <laughs> little Princess Bride there. Yeah, I love that. I love how you squeeze that in. You know that your dad was... Your mentor was murdered by a six-fingered man, and now there's talks in this town of a six-fingered man being here. And they think they went off. He went off to the north, heading towards these runes. And so now that character now has a reason directly tied to their story of why they would want to go that way. Even though the reason they said they're they're they've been, hey, I need you guys to go to the north and check out um, this uh, dragon dog infestation. That does not sound healthy. No, it doesn't. If the characters are hunting down a mass murderer, somebody who's been managed to sneak in, is sneaking from town to town murdering women, right? They call him Jack the Ripper, right? You're giving them these little hooks to get from place to place, but those hooks might be as little as, you know, a um, there's words of a, a, a man with a large battered cloak and 
with hawk images on it and your character you give your characters you know a piece of cloth that was found at one of the scenes that's got a part of a hawk on it Mm -hmm. so feeding a good hook to them is hey you know what i saw the man walking through with the hook with the not the hook with the with the battered cloak with this insignia and part of it was ripped that's Mm -hmm. a good hook for something that they're already working on and drives them in that direction it does help to have players that pay attention to the description you give because they could otherwise miss obvious hooks like that. Yes. I had a friend of mine who ran an adventure and they saw it transit on a ship and he made it very clear in his description that the captain was... I'm just going to make part of this up. A captain was a finely dressed man with a big hat and a large red jacket. And they, of course, go on their adventure. <laughs> and when they came into the village, it's raided. Like, what happened here? Well, we got attacked by pirates who was led by a finely dressed man with a big hat and a red jacket. Huh. That sounds interesting. <laughs> they go back to their ship. Hey, Captain, have you seen the, the, the description? <laughs> no. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, that's really good. And, and that's really important for all you players out there to make sure you're recording that stuff and documenting it. Um, one of the advantages that we have on Roll20 is that when I write something, they can save it. They can copy it. They can paste it. They can store it. They can do whatever with it. So they've got those details down. Take notes. It might come back. Yeah. I think that was one of our player tips, too. <laughs> Write shit down. <laughs> um, so, you know, moving on to the kind of the next points that make a hook great, you know, every great hook, sometimes you need, sometimes you need to create a call to action. If the PCs don't take the bait of your hook, for instance, with the red... <laughs> the red coat. Um, sometimes they need a little bit of a, a little bit of push. So maybe, uh, you know, at that moment when they're interrogating this this captain guy, he says, "I've never seen that guy." Maybe a, uh, maybe a minion like uh, Smee and Smee Smee is Smee's hooks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A guy like Smee comes up, Captain. It's time for your daily washing of your favorite red jacket. You know, or something <laughs> like that. That it kind of just no- it gives them a just the the reminder that they need. Yep. Um, because sometimes players do need help, and you just gave a great example of that. And sometimes the PCs need to, to remember, don't be idiots. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and let's uh, face it, we've all been guilty of that at some point. Right. You know, for for instance, um, if you need to make your hook, if people aren't, they're not taking your hook. Let's say a village is constantly being robbed. Mm-hmm. Um, people's articles are disappearing, and the heroes have no interest in it. And that, you know what? And they might. A robbery it might be beneath them. They're level seven, eight, nine, whatever. And robbery, that's beneath me. I ain't dealing with it. Well, what if their shit starts disappearing? They're going to care now, aren't they? They stole my family's ancestral sword! That's all right. It wasn't even a plus one. But, I mean, that now forces them into action because now my shit's missing. Now I do care. Mm-hmm. It may, I may have thought it was beneath me before, but, oh, oh, my ancestral sword is gone. My spellbook is missing. Sometimes, you know, the subtle hints, like with your pirate, isn't enough, and a call to action is... is necessary but that same call to action can be due to inaction oh yeah let's say you know the a local noble uh is going to be traveling and he's looking for heroes to defend him and the characters don't take that they don't take that hook that guy's a jerk yeah maybe they don't like him you know what that's a that's a very reasonable thing you know when you've got the noble who's just a dick and just talks down to everyone well he's looking to hire he doesn't get very good guards he goes missing. So now they are their inaction is directly responsible for what happened because would that same thing happen if they were with him? 
Maybe, maybe not. Right, but the, they won't know. So now, hopefully, that nudges them in the right direction of more that that they kind of get the point. Yeah, on one hand, they did get reward for finding him. But on the other hand, he is a jerk. <laughs> um, you know, maybe the we talked about the thief earlier. Maybe the more they leave him be, his the things that they're stealing become bigger and he becomes bolder. Maybe he starts in, uh, injuring people that he wasn't injuring before. You know what I mean? Maybe that innocent thief who's just stealing stuff now is starting to wound people or worse, leave by, leaving behind bodies. And that's just not healthy for anyone. <laughs> um, you know, the call to action is a really good, good way to try to give your players options. I believe that if my heroes don't take something, that's fine. There's something's going to happen. Hey, we need you to go save this village. It's being attacked by raiders. That village, not going to be there no more. And I think we've talked about something similar before. Every action has consequences. Yeah, and every inaction has consequences. Right? Oh, yeah. Um, Although with some groups of P- PCs, who's worse, the Raiders or the PCs? Yeah. And we've talked a lot about the different types of uh, things that can really make a, a, a hook great. And when you're developing your hooks, make sure you're mixing and matching those and you're not just sticking with the one shtick. Oh, definitely. Um. You know, if you're always having your character start off as slaves, that's going to get boring. If they're constantly just being called by somebody, that's going to get boring. You know, if you mix it that one hook is they start off as slaves and the next one is, you know, the village is being over or the village is being overrun by orcs. And, you know, now there's a uh, uh, somebody who's, you know, stealing from the, the villagers and stuff while they're still trying to recoup from being raided. You know, you really want to mix and match those things. Cause like Bree said in her, in her email to us, that stuff gets boring. You don't want to keep doing the same thing over and over. Oh yeah. In fact, I remember in a game I'm currently running about once a month, especially a dragon age game. Yes. I've been wanting to try it. It looks good. I was reading it. Yeah. It's a very simple system. Easy to pick up. But anyway, the, uh, a lot of the interaction I had the PCs at was based out of like one small border outpost, mm-hmm. but they were also knew that the dark spawn were starting to appear in that area. So I gave them the venture where they were going around, pe- passing the word to farmers saying, "Go to this outpost for protection." And as the local outpost started realizing the threat was getting bigger and bigger, it's like, "Okay, maybe we should start a caravan and take the villagers that we are sworn to protect to a sh- stronger fortress." Right. So. I basically threw two different plot hooks out to the P- PCs. They could either stay at the outpost and help defend it, or they could join the caravan and protect the farmers and other peasants on the way to the other stronghold. And you actually make a really good point there. You know, making sure that the PCs have choices whenever possible Oh yeah, is fantastic. I mean, giving out a hook is, I mean, it's just like a fishing line. You're pulling them into a direction, but using multiple hooks and giving them options gives them much more freedom and choices. Now you're still trying to pull them to where you want them to go and what you want them to do. Mm-hmm. But by having a nice collection of different hooks in town, um, for your example, you know, they, you gave them two different choices. You can go here and do this. You can go here and do this. And that to me, I, I run on the basis that I should always have at least three hooks going. Sure. Um, that's not so many that I got to worry about tracking too many things, No. but it's not so little that they feel like they're being railroaded into a direction. Yeah, and even then, if you're giving yourself multiple hooks, just like write down like, uh, some short guidelines for yourself to give. So you can at least stay somewhat flexible, and even then, you'll overwork yourself too much going in-depth into each path. Yeah, and, you know, nobody likes to be real. 
most people don't like to be railroaded. I can't say nobody because some people do like to just go along for the ride and because they want to hear whatever story is. That's that's a big thing for me as far as adventures. When I do uh, the pre-generated adventures as a player, mm-hmm. I like to do those because I care more about the story so much than I do the freedom of a sandbox. That's actually one thing I really liked about Princess Apocalypse is that it wasn't the railroady guide that most uh, event pre-written modules are. Oh, yeah. Um and I could really go, and in fact, I did go the wrong way, and we died because um, we went somewhere we weren't supposed to just yet. Um, lack of stupid, mostly stupid. And but. then there's Christopher Strahd where, well, just tries to kill you, period. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he can show up pretty much at any time and just be like, you're dead. Um, I love Curse of Strahd. I've only ran it as a DM, though. I haven't got to play it too much as a player. Shoot, remember at least once when I played that we had a TPK. Yeah, it happens. Uh, that one of those happened. Two of those happened here. Uh, TPKs did um, because we're dumb and players think they can take everything out. I yeah. can take down that one thousand year old dragon. Squish. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I mentioned I like three hooks. Um, the great thing is, is when a player doesn't take a hook, that hook can move. I'll use the example of the murderer. You know, guy killing all women, Jack the Ripper. You know, if they don't take that hook in the city they're in and they move on to the next city or a couple cities later, rumors of that guy is spreading, which means he's now taking more and more and more victims. And so they're now that they know about it and they have the power to stop it, how many of those victims are their fault? Or maybe he texts one of the female party members in her sleep. Oh, I like that. (laughs) We here at Crit Academy, 100% 50-50 equal rights between man and woman. Maybe he's out for only men. Oh. And maybe it's a she. Ooh, that's good too. <laughs> um, but the point is, is that that was a hook that I could I can use later because I had already set up the fact that there's many reports around all these different villages of these people going missing and fi- being found eviscerated um, by a blade, small one, you know. And because they chose not to take that and they took another hook, that kind of followed them a little bit later, and they they started hearing more and more rumors. So I was able to still use my content that I generated for later. Oh, definitely save the stuff up to the side because you could again, put it in later. Well, what really made it bad, though, and it really messed up my players is when uh, they finally found him, he had ears from everyone that he he took care of that he murdered. And there was a lot. And he actually went into his own little monologue of how he spent the last, like, I think it was like a three-month period from the first time they heard about him to the last part. And he was at like three... 300 and some odd 300 and some odd I forgot what the number was, it was some while ago so they knew that if they would have stopped him sooner that was 300 and some odd lives that they could have saved I'm not pushing Dolph Lundgren's character from Universal Soldier I haven't I don't think I've seen that well he basically played like an unstable soldier who was brought back to life who had the tendency of collecting ears of, of people he killed that's awesome I was actually my inspiration was Diablo did you ever play Diablo 2? surprisingly no oh man in the PvP one you could take people's ears Oh, <laughs> just fill your inventory with people's ears, your victims. Um, but yeah, so having a good hook and really engaging the players, not just saying you're here, this is where you're going. It's you're here. Your character would care about it because of this is super important to not only getting a game started, but also keeping the game flowing and having a nice flow to why they're doing what they're doing, why they're choosing to do these different options. And and for that matter, though, it's always good to have a good variety of enemies, too, because you don't want to fight the same thing over and over again, even, even if it does make sense in that setting. Right, and actually, it's funny you say that. Uh, I'm a big fan of uh, variants. I, in fact, 
we have those that have been listening know we do uh, Monster Variant Monday where I publish the some of the monsters that I've made and played with um, because I truly believe that a I helps re- reduce metagaming. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, but in addition to that, it gives a little bit of variety to my monsters. And when I am stuck in a similar situation where they're fighting a lot of kobolds right now, well, every kobold they come up to is not equal. You know, this one over here is using a spear. This one over here is using a longbow. This one over here is using a sling with fucking glue and fire and stink bombs on it, you know. Or for that matter, even changing the environment and playing some hazards can contribute to that, too. Yes. Like, uh... My goblins love hazards. In fact, in the last Dragon Age game I ran, the uh, players, to my surprise... Decides like, let's explore the deep roads that go on for hundreds of miles. I'm like, oh, all right then. And I had them come across a bridge, which basically became a job up into lava. And as they started walking across it, more dark spawn appeared. And I now gave them a hassle to work with because, well, they can e- in Dragon Age, you can easily be pushed around very oh, easily. Oh, yeah, push people right off the edge. I love it. And, but the place actually used that to their advantage, though. And they actually stayed at the mouth. like, we're not stepping on that thing. Good. And, uh, and it funneled in the enemies, didn't it? Yep. Bottlenecked them. And then they knocked the enemies off the bridge. That's smart playing right there. I uh, Good I, good job, players. Any, yeah, anybody that listens to the show knows that I'm a big fan of using non-mundane mechanics. For instance, it really, and sometimes it doesn't work in my favor, but sometimes it does. But I always get amazing reactions. For instance, I was running a game. It was one of the only games that I ran with Paul in it. And he had already run this module a dozen times. But when... My at the top of these stairs was this inanimate armor or this animated armor. Oh yeah. So he knows it's a bad guy, but he, he's he's pretty good. He doesn't tell anybody. Mm-hmm. It steps out. It grabs somebody by the throat and throws it down the stairs. Didn't expect that. It knocked him and several other people down. Nice. And then after it, he was like, "Man, that was really cool. I never thought to do something like that." Because really, if you look at the stat block, it can just attack and slam or something like that. Right. That to me wasn't cool enough. But the fact that they were at the top of stairs made it a lot more interesting. And so I tried to leverage that. And, and I, I encourage all our DMs and our players to do the same. When you're playing a game, yes, you have your little stat sheet that tells you what you can do, but think about all those things you can do in a unique situation. In this case, you knocked people off. They knocked people off the spawn into lava, and I knocked them, uh, players down the stairs, knocking into other players. And then the ogre appeared and smashed through his own allies, knocking them off the bridge. Oh, that's the best way to do it. I had a... a, a oh, shit. I don't know if it was. An, I don't think it was. It might have been an ogre, where he picked up a, a, a person and was beating everyone with the, the person. Nice. I don't think it was a person. It was like a cobalt or something. They were, he was working with a cobalt or something. He was using. He was beating him with the cobalt. And they're like, "Does that count as an improvised weapon?" I was like, "He doesn't care." <laughs> oh no. Um. But um. Yes. Yeah, so, when you have good hooks, you can lead to really great stories and adventures. Don't bottleneck your players if you can avoid it. Give them options. Follow the tips that we've given you. You know, it'll make the game more engaging to each player if it's somehow tied to their motivations. Yeah. And that's really what you want for a great hook. Point, though, is give the players choices. Yes. And make sure your hooks don't suck. Actually, speaking of great hooks, Loresmith, one of our fellowship members, their Claws of Madness that we give away every week to our listeners has got a great hook. The hooks don't funnel you into a specific choice. For instance... In the very beginning, you have, you know, the, the they stumble into this town and there's a monster or a guy walking around with like tentacles like flailing out of his, out of his stomach, and there's no real specific way that your players need to handle that. Oh no! So it's very interesting because it leaves it open. 
the hook leaves it open enough that you get a different interaction every time you run it. Oh. I really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Or touching on something that we've talked about before, turning a situation on the players' heads and giving them a plot twist that they just won't expect. Yeah. Off in the distance, you see a troll picking up two, two sheep. We must save the sheep! We attack the troll. Oh! Why you hit Bill? Because you're taking sheep. These are my sheep, you jerk! <laughs> <laughs> I... That's a, you touch on something really cool. I'm going to kind of go on another tangent for a second. Not every creature you run into that says it's evil or that it's bad, dear God, they do not need to be. Having a kobold who is not a fighter, who's just farming and minding his own business, and he's out you know, traveling between towns and some fucking adventurers kill him. Because why? Because he went to go get some fucking meat? Or what'd you call him, Bill? Yep. You know, poor Bill there. He's just tending to do his sheep and then fucking some crazy-ass psychotic murderers come and try to take him down. Dang, murder hobos. I know, right? You know, they didn't ask him how he was doing or if he did. was he doing anything wrong. He was minding his own business so he got shot with an arrow and fucking fireball in the face. Um, but anyways. Um, hey, he's a troll. He'll grow back. <laughs> but anyways, uh, Lord Smith uh, is really a great example of the amazing quality of good hooks and thanks to them we actually give away a prize every single week and listeners like prizes oh yes who i'm not even a listener and i like prizes man um but thanks to Lorsmith, we can give away this uh every single week and we have a new winner this week and t- t- this week's winner is mike dark garage <laughs> Congratulations, Mike Dark Garage, on your adventure. I'm just curious what his username comes from. I have no idea. I can ask him. <laughs> um, Melix Black Cars. Maybe he's a bad of the hell. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, congratulations. Once you've played uh, Claws of Madness, head on over to drivethroughrpg.com and leave uh, Loresmith hopefully a five-star rated r- review. And let us know what you think about it. Yeah. Everybody looks like have a good feedback, and people like hearing they did a good job. Yeah. So, our final segment, our under tips and tricks, you know, we talked about, you know, monster variants and stuff, um, and all that good stuff. Our under tips and tricks, we give new and creative content that we've come up with for you to use and bring with you on your next adventure, whether it's for a player or a DM. Our first character concept is, let's make a deal. This really refers to, you know, a character who 100% believes in equivalent exchange. Nothing is free. You scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. Yes. And because of that, they're constantly willing to find ways around normal scenarios through wagering. Not so much... That's not the right word. Bargaining. Bargaining, thank you. Doing what they can to bargain, because they truly believe that every single person has a price. And sometimes that price isn't as steep as one might think. Sometimes that price isn't always money. No. And so what this character constantly does, I'm sure you, have you ever heard of the story of the guy who decided he wanted to buy a car, but he started with a spoon and he traded until he got to his car? Did you ever hear that? No, but that sounds brilliant. Yeah, no. And so he basically, what he did is he started with a spoon and he started trading for things. Or it might've been a pack of gum. And he started trading and gradually got something bigger and bigger and bigger in value. And so he started owing people favors and doing favors for other people. You know, hey, Ryan needs his gutters cleaned. You know what? Uh, my buddy Ian is looking for work. 
and Ryan's willing to pay 20 bucks. So I tell Ian, I was like, hey, you know what, my buddy, he'll do that job for you for $10, or he'll pay you $10 to clean out his gutters, and Ian accepts. I have $10, Ryan's gutters are clean, Ian has 10 bucks. And so he's constantly doing this exchange to do whatever he can to get to whatever his final goal is. You gotta love haggling. Yeah, and this is something where I think not only, you're basically taking that haggling mentality, but you're moving it away from just merchants. You're moving it into nobles. Okay, this noble wants his um, his village is being attacked by raiders, orc raiders. Well, I know another village that needs a couple guards on standby because they don't have a militia. So he'll say, you know what? I'll make a deal with you. If you can send six militia to defend this town, we'll take care of your orc problem. All right, then. And so the orc problem gets taken care of. That village gets a new, t- gets a new military. Now they owe me one. And you can spin that and spin that and spin that going forward. You're going to have to keep a lot of notes, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what? You just got poisoned? Why, well, I happen to have some anti-venom right here. How much is it worth to you? <laughs> <laughs> um, a really good example is, and actually I mentioned Horde of the Dragon Queen earlier. There's a really good example is in Horde of the Dragon Queen where the Lizardmen are teamed up with these cultists, but they really don't like them. They don't really want anything to do with them. The reason they team up with them is because the Lizardmen have no way to get weapons and armor and stuff. So the cultists are providing them with metal weapons and spears and swords and, you know, plate mail and all these different things that they normally don't have access to. They've been using a rock. And all they have to do is protect something for them. So that's their barter. There's no reason that a player can't do those same things. Oh, no. I don't know. Just the whole concept of making trades and deals outside of just merchants really is appealing to me. I personally have not run a character like this, but I really would like to. Yeah, that does seem up your alley. Um, and I think that, and this goes for any character. You know, we always hear this is something like a bard would probably commonly do, but it doesn't have to be. No. It, I mean, yeah, your stats might be a little higher for a bard or a rogue with expertise, but these can be your life goals for your character trying to, I want to own a castle someday. That's why I'm adventuring. But what can I do to kind of help me get what I need? Well, I just help this village get a militia to defend maybe they'll give me a plot of land for it all right and maybe that's your your goal you know um so that is our character concept let's make a deal our monster variant is the strangling blight now i actually created this because i had an encounter that was in a forest that was full of blights and then the big boss was a shambling mound right all right but as i was looking through the monster statistics there's one thing that came... I was trying to think, okay, what are ways that something like this would be able to harm somebody other than just their normal attack? Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so the first thing that came to mind is if I have vines and stuff coming around me, I would try to choke somebody. Oh, yeah. That's not part of the blight statistics. Well, for me, it is. Our strangling blight is basically a vine blight or any one of the other blights who can't use the... Engulf. If you look at the, the Shambling Mound stat block, it has an ability called Engulf, which it swallows them and, and bludgeons them to death, and they can't breathe. But what I did is I added this feature to all of my little vine critters called Strangle. When this creature has a target grappled, it can use an action to wrap its vines around its target's throat and attempt to suffocate its targets. The target must succeed a DC-12 constitution saving throw, or it begins suffocating. If the target breaks the grapple... 
the effect ends. That's simple enough, right? Right, and you can also adjust a DC depending if you if you have to. <laughs> yeah, that act, that D, and if you want it harder, DC up or lower DC down. That's actually the recommended DC for that level range. Oh yeah, for those monsters. But what's really cool though is this isn't something that's going to be too big of an issue if you consider the rules for uh, suffocating. And on PH the in the player's handbook on page one eighty three, I think it says that it's one plus your cons modifier. Um, which, if it's negative, <laughs> prepare to deal with that. But you do have a minimum of 30 seconds. Which is at least five rounds, so. Right. Now, that that being said, that in the grand scheme of a, an in-game combat, that's very long. But that's not what they did. These guys are stealthy ambushers. That's exactly what the Blights do. So when you have characters who are the only ones up at night, who are defending uh, everyone else while they sleep, or you got somebody that goes to collect food for their party or they go scouting that one minute becomes a really long time oh yeah and that was kind of the whole point and now none of my players were killed in the making of these creatures but um it scared the living bejesus out of our scout it really did because he's like there's nobody to help him and because it was a vine blight it had an ability that restrained called constrict and it restrains them um and so what we did is anytime he struggled um, we took off a few seconds of the breath he could hold. Sure. Because the more you struggle, the more energy you burn, the less air you can, uh, the quicker your oxygen. The more you exert yourself, basically. Hmm. Yes. So we represented that by every time he tried, the DC got higher. So he always had a chance to escape. Now, if there was somebody else there, they could just cut him loose or something like that. Mm-hmm. But because he was bound and constricted, he couldn't. And that became a problem. And he almost did die. Um, luckily, he, their goal wasn't to kill him. Um, basically, they were there was a whole spiel I'm not going to go into with the magic be- of the forest being a wizard bringing everything to life or a druid bringing everything to life. But um, the point was is that I wanted a way to restrain all my characters if I wanted to. And if they get ambushed by four or five of these things, eh, one might, person might get free. But when they're all suffocating and can't breathe, I mean, how would you react as a character? Holy crap! Because have you experienced anything like that in 5th edition at all? Uh, or any RPG, for that matter. Not too often, but it has happened here and there. Right. You know, drowning is the one I like to use the most. I love to drown my players. Oh, especially on, like, uh, ocean campaigns. Yeah, well, it wasn't even ocean. We were walking through a swamp, I think, and a croc came up, grabbed him, dragged him under, and <laughs> couldn't break the tr- croc grapple. That'd, but anyways... That'd do it. Um... You know, this is really good for surprising in the forest for people who wander, or maybe they camp for a night and they don't have a watcher, and these things move in and then, you know, jump on them. They don't move very fast, though, so. But that is our monster variant of the podcast, the Strangling Blight. Use it, love it. If you use any of our monsters, as I'm, like I said, I'm going to, this, I've been sharing on Facebook and on Twitter our monster variant Mondays. Um, I am working on putting those on the website so you have quick access to it and you can print them off. If you use any of these, let me know. Um, tell me what you think. I get a lot of good reviews from the Facebook people in the groups that I share them in, but I don't know how many people use them besides me. So. Well, what makes you feel better? I definitely see those posts on my feed. Oh, that's nice. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so that is our monster variant, the Strangling Blight. And today's encounter scenario, Home Alone. Players must enter a mansion to steal a relic or some other rare item. The mansion itself has only one occupant, a clever guard, or maybe in some cases an eight-year-old with too much time on his hands. But the mansion itself, though, is booby-trapped to a T. (laughs) 
During the entire encounter, the guard is mocking and insulting them, and doing anything he can to lure the PCs into more traps. I mean, we've, we've all seen Home Alone, right? I mean, that's all this is. It's, it's the movie Home Alone, but instead of Macaulay Culkin, maybe you got a little goblin or a halfling or a gnome. You know, somebody who's really out to get the players. Or if it is Macaulay Culkin, that'd be hilarious. That would be hilarious. You guys give up? Oh, you thirsty for more? Using those one-liners on it would, be, would just be fantastic. You know, this concept is pretty straightforward. I, once again, anybody that's played non-pre-made games with me, I don't, have you ever run any of my home run games? Probably not. I think I played one or two here and there. I really, I, I like to focus less on direct combat and other ways to torture and, because all my, a lot of players are always ready for combat. They're not ready to walk into a house infested with traps. They're not ready to go through a forest as, you know, they're falling in pitfalls and giant, uh, fucking trees on ropes swing down and hit them in the head you know and this is a really good example of this because i like to directly torment my players Mm -hmm. i released an episode of one of our recordings and i added sound effects to it and there's a guy in there it's a little demon guy that's floating around that drops an entire um hallway ceiling on top of the players heavy isn't it Senses in the corridor are most intelligent. The complex assembly of gears adapts precisely to the strengths of its victims. <laughs> of course, there's always a catch. There's just enough leeway that remains to allow one of you to escape, leaving your friend to be crushed under the weight. <laughs> oh, no. But decisions must be made quickly. Not even the three of you combined can hold the ceiling for long. Insist on teamwork, and your friends will be crushed. <laughs> Hate that guy. Veins are popping out, and it drops about three inches. And, you, and no matter how much you're holding, the strength you're exerting, you, you're kind of keeping it, but you don't know exactly how long. And then you hear from the end of the corridor, This is always my favorite part of the trial. Watching you squirm as your muscles being pop and tear beneath the ceiling's weight. But of Question. course... But of course, no, keep going, finish. the best is your eyes. Seeing the gears of thought turn in desperation. Thinking, questioning yourself. How long can I hold this? Will I die this way? Will one friend <laughs> betray us and escape while we're flattened? Or will I be the one? <laughs> what was your question? I forgot how great that was. <laughs> So in that example, um, the character is mocking, mocking them as they're stuck underneath this heavy ceiling that's dropped on top of them. Oh, yeah. Which created a very frustrating moment for the players. They weren't, they weren't happy because this thing's taunting them while they're stuck being crushed, you know. So when you're running, you know, this adventure, whether you're using a mansion, and it doesn't have to be a house. It doesn't have to be a mansion. It can be a, a cave or... Uh, a, a a dungeon of other sorts. A labyrinth. Yeah, a labyrinth. Something that is prepared ahead of time. Personally, uh, my goblins are the ones that set up most traps. They constantly have traps. I might have five goblins and like ten traps in my dungeons with goblins because they're weaker, so they're much more... They try to be much more clever with their their survival, I suppose. All right. Um, so... Of course, if this goblin made it, it be explody. So... That is it for our encounter of the podcast, the Home Alone. Our magic item of the podcast is the Summoner's Horn. The horn appears to be encased in like a purple and black crystal tied to a black uh, hide necklace. Now, 
in this form it's a necklace you could easily make this in, like a headpiece and the horn kind of protrudes um i mean uh sure i imagine that would be kind of awkward if you're already a tiefling or a dragonborn with big horns or something like that but that was another horn yeah <laughs> <laughs> um this item basically allows you to summon a pseudo pseudo dragon companion for eight hours this ability cannot be used again until the next dawn you can only ever have one companion out at a time, and the beast obeys your commands as best as it can. It takes its turn uh, on your initiative, though it doesn't attack unless you command it to. On your turn, you can verbally give it a command uh, to move. Uh, uh, give, you can verbally give it a command. Moving is require, is a, uh, Movement is a free action, though. So you can use your bonus action to verbally command it to take an attack action, a das action, uh, a disengage action, the dodge action, or the help action. Found uh, you can find the stat on uh, stat block in the monster manual or the PHB, uh, the player's handbook. All right. Um, this is basically a combination of some of the features from the find familiar spell, combined with some of the uh, beast master traits. Um, I considered originally just making this uh, a find familiar spell thing, but I wanted it to be just different enough that it would have more value. Um, and variety, it's a spice of life. Yeah, and and so this made it good even for somebody who already had the uh, ritual uh, find familiar spell. I personally, as a DM, probably wouldn't let them have both. You can summon a familiar with the, rich, the find familiar and use the magic item, but um, you can trade one off. But basically what this does is it gives them, <laughs> in, my, in my game's case, uh, a sacrificial lamb, so to speak. Somebody they can send out front because they didn't have anybody that wanted to scout. Um, they wanted somebody to set off traps and do all these different things. So, uh, basically, they didn't have a, a barbarian. Basically, you know, well, <laughs> it was it was a uh, it was a fighter and two wizards, I think. And the fighter was a ranged fighter with a bow. So he's like, well, they're kind of always arguing about who who should go forward. They're using the mage hand trick for a while too, so that worked for a lot of stuff. But sure. um, this was a uh, an item that really gave me I. Honestly, they were in an area where there wasn't a whole lot of NPCs, and I wanted to interact with them a little more as far as, like, roleplay. So this was something that also was kind of for me. But um, kind of hit two birds with one stone with that. But the Pseudo Dragon's not too overly powered. It's It can communicate, um, though it's telepathy. But um, it's a fun tool to give more versatility to your group. What would you do if you found the Summoner's Horn? If I recall correctly, city dragons aren't very big. No, they're not. They're tiny. But that means you can use them to get into small places that you as an adventurer can't get into. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, because it's tiny, it can fit into small places. Um, it does come with the bite and the sting attack. It poisons people. But it has magic resistances and limited te telepathy. But what was really good is it has uh, keen senses. Um, so it had advantage on perception and checks with hearing sight and uh smell which is really what they ended up using it for most of the time because none of them had a really high wisdom that's always good to have a good, good guard dog at your side and that's basically what it was and it was something that it can interact with but what made it really fun is it gave them it gave them a little pet <laughs> that they kind of fell in love with that fortunately it didn't die or anything like that but because it was a magic item it just kept resummoning them but um it gives a lot of utility and it's something that's fun to play with um I would say you probably don't necessarily need it if you got a wizard, but the fact that it can take the attack action 
that it can't do with the find familiar spell mm-hmm. is a pretty big bonus. And the fact that it only consumes your bonus action to do that. So that is our magic item of the podcast, the Summoner's Horn. Our Dungeon Master tip of the podcast is description brevity. As a DM, don't describe every little detail. Oh, yeah. Players' eyes tend to glaze over after about three or four sentences of descriptive text, so... Don't be like Tolkien, who spent an entire page describing a tree. <laughs> we've, I think we've talked about Tolkien and how much time he spent describing stuff. Uh, you know, players... If you over-describe some of this stuff, uh, great details will make it seem like that, for whatever reason, that's important to the players. Mm-hmm. And so you don't want to do that. You know, it can, it can lead to, to, to wasting time during the game. Um, if, they, if they're still looking at that tree that Tolkien described for 10 minutes, well, I can't find nothing wrong with it. Finally, as a DM, you're like, there's fucking nothing wrong important about the tree, okay? Just move on. Right. You know? You see a pirate captain wearing a fine red jacket. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. You need, to, you need to describe, you know, when you walk into a, a graveyard. You don't need to describe the 25 tombstones that are laid out five by five, you know, and the middle three are bigger than the re- the middle rows bigger than the rest or something like that. You don't, unless it's somehow important, you can just say a graveyard and they're going to assume a few things. There's graves. There's paths. It is dark outside because you always go to a graveyard at night. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> it's only when zombies come out, right? Um, you know, you don't want to, that's unnecessary time wasted, you know, but it's also important that you want to use an us description. You don't want to omit important details like uh, what are the lighting or special terrain features, you know, because how many times have you ever been asked as a DM? Can, is it is it dark? Is it bright? What's the lighting like? It's black and white. What? <laughs> it's a bit of shades of gray, probably about 50 of them. Wait a minute. I've read that book. <laughs> no, no, I haven't. That's not going to change anytime soon. <laughs> uh, you know, but in the same token, you want to make sure that you don't only just give the most important information. And, you know, in our show, I've talked about how I pass notes to my, my players when they observe things. You know, sometimes those notes are important. Sometimes they're not. You know, somebody farted. You can smell it. You know, something, something like that. And the same thing should go for your descriptions. You don't need a mile-long you know, sentence saying you're in a graveyard and there's uh, a couple tombstones that are cracked. That's more than enough. Oh, yeah. Maybe those tombstones are important. Maybe they're not. But then if they end up in a, and let's say the tombstones aren't of any importance and they walk into a graveyard a few sessions later or a few months later, whatever in-game time you want to do, you walk into a graveyard, there's a collection of tombstones. A couple of them are cracked. Maybe now they're important, but they may not think about it, mm-hmm. you know. So you don't want to you don't want to spend too much time wasting description. Just get to the point and move on because it slows the game down. I mean, just give them enough to create the mental picture, to set the mood. Yeah, and they'll, they'll ask questions, you know. If they have questions, they'll ask them. You know, I don't need to be told that there's a chef's knife in the kitchen. I'm going to automatically assume there should be knives in the kitchen. Of course, there are some some games where if the player says something's there, it's now there, because that makes sense for that to be there. Yes, that's and I think once again, I think Ryan and I have, have touched on that. When there's just certain things that should be given, and you should assume, you know, I think we've used the kitchen knife example before, where, hey, I want to use, you know, uh, shit, what is the catapult? I want to catapult a pot and pan, a pan or a pot 
at one of the enemies. I didn't describe that in my description, but it sure as hell makes a lot of sense that that would be there. Or, or one for the example I heard. Okay, the towel's not being taken by the zombies. What do you do? I take my shotgun and fire at them. Whoa, 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 whoa. I never told you you had a shotgun. Yeah, but we're in Texas. Of course we have a shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's bigger in Texas. I lived in Texas for a while. It's a pretty nice place. Um, so that is our DM tip of the podcast. Description brevity. Our player tip of the podcast is... Don't, don't be, be a, a dick. dick. <laughs> <laughs> and you can avoid dickitude by... Immerse your character. And kind of what I mean by that is give your character motivations for getting involved in the action and caring about what's going on and what's at stake. We, we talked about how the DM can set up hooks, but the players, as players, it is also your responsibility to come up with reasons why your character would want to do something like that. Right, and now it's easier uh, campaign now to deciding to create some relationships between the characters' locations and various organizations. Now, that does not mean metagaming. Yes, right. There's a clear There's a clear line there, right? You know... We talked about, you know, Bree's question asked about, you know, how do I get everyone together? And how do they know each other? There's no reason why, as I as the player, can't say that I know this person for some reason. Uh, we mentioned the uh, you and Ryan being on a ship and you taking a prisoner. Mm-hmm. There's no reason you guys couldn't have thought, hey, you know what? You're a thief. I'm a soldier. We got to be on this ship. How about I've captured you? Yeah. Works. DM doesn't have to do nothing. Great. Nope. The players can be just as responsible for that stuff as the DM. Now, not to scoff at the DM, that's a pretty major part of it, but you guys, the, the players can really help out their DMs by doing things like this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. But the important thing, though, is there's the DM and the players definitely have to go off each other. I mean, yes. I definitely say it's 50-50. I mean, I've even heard, there's one guy I've given in the past where he's like, I'm the DM, you, you the players, it's not my fault if you didn't have fun. It's like, um, yes and no? I set the scene, I set the encounters, I set the challenges, and it's my job to interact with you. But I can only interact from one side. Right. If I give you all a bunch of hooks and I say, oh, top of the morning to you, and your character doesn't react to it, you as a player don't react to it, you're not going to probably have fun unless you're a watcher, which I think is an archetype we've talked about. Somebody who just observes and you're okay, you, my character says, oh, hi, are you? You know? Well... One thing I was thinking though when I said that is like uh, I remember one time I played like a session of a Star Trek RPG, mm-hmm. and the mission basically involved going to a science biological research station. Okay. And one person was like, "I am the ship's helmsman. I'm Sulu. What am I supposed to do in this situation?" Han Sulu? Nope. <laughs> I am Hans. Mm-hmm. Olo. Gruber. <laughs> yeah. So you know, and and that's kind of. It, it, it goes both ways, too. It, to it does, but there is only so much the DM can do. And I'm not arguing that point. So that is our player tip of the podcast. Don't, Don't be, be a, a dick. dick. And you can avoid dick too by immersing your character in the world around themselves. Well, that is our show for the day. Thank you for joining us, Ian. All right, glad to be here. Yeah, I've really enjoyed having you here. I hope you enjoyed yourself. Always do. Um, thanks for joining us. I... I know you guys were actually expecting to hear from Lorsmith today with Remarkable Ends. He ended up getting surgery, so uh, I moved this topic in ahead of it. If you have any feedback or other tips and tricks or just anything you want us to discuss or you want to talk to us, you can, easily, you can contact us. You can Facebook us or Twitter us at CritAcademy.com. You, know, you can email us at CritAcademy at gmail.com. Make sure you subscribe. Uh, that's the only way to enter in to win these awesome prizes. I am your host, Justin. And I mean...
Thank you for listening. Keep your blades sharp and spells prepared, heroes. Heroes. <laughs>